Um, this is the Fiction Old and New Book Group. Um, today is Thursday, February 2nd, 2017. <clears throat> Excuse me. And tonight we're discussing uh, Louise Miller's book, The City Baker's Guide to Country Living. Um, I'm going to give you a little information about the author. I'm sure it will come as no surprise to everyone who read the book that Louise Miller is actually a pastry chef. Um, she lives and works in Boston. She uh, attended the Grub Streets Novel Incubator Program, which is a year-long workshop for uh, novelists. Her interests include banjo playing, gardening, and dogs. And The City Baker's Guide to Country Living is her first novel. Um, I'm just going to go through the characters just to refresh everybody's uh, recollection. Um, the, the actual baker was Olivia Rawlings, otherwise known as Livy. And Margaret, Margaret Hurley was the inn owner. And then there was the McCracken family. Uh, Dottie and Henry were the parents. And Mark, Ethan, and Martin were the brothers. And Martin was also the romantic interest of, of Livy. Um, and working at the uh, Sugar Maple Inn was Chef Alfred. And then Sarah, who was the waitress. And then we had Olivia's best friend, Hannah Doyle. And then there was Tom. And then there was Margaret's nemesis, Jane White. And then there was also Martin's... Um, Seattle fiance Sophie and then there was also Jameson Whitaker who was Livy's boss at the Emerson Club in Boston so just to kind of get the discussion started I thought I'd throw out a couple of questions um, feel free to just you know talk about anything you want about the book these are just suggestions for topics um, one question I had was did you like um, Olivia as a character and if you didn't like her at the beginning of the book did you kind of warm up to her as the story went along and another thing that I wondered is what did you think of Margaret Hurley the owner of the inn and have you ever known anybody like her in, in your life so I'm going to release the key and we'll see what everybody thought of the book well I guess I'll start um, I thought the book was enjoyable um, I liked Libby but I thought that she didn't seem like she was 32. She struck me more like 22. She seemed kind of immature, but I did like her. I kind of liked Margaret. I thought the author did a good job of developing her character. You could tell that she was crotchety, but deep inside she was a nice person. You couldn't tell quite at first, but it didn't take long before you knew that uh, you were going to like her by the end of the book. Hi, this is Alan. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed the book. I thought it, uh, I like romance stuff anyway, and I thought she did a good job with this one. Uh, and, and I liked Livy, uh, and I really liked the narrator. I thought the narrator did a great job of uh, doing the voices and stuff. And uh, uh, I've never—I know this was a commercial book, so I've, I'm not familiar with this narrator, but she just kind of became the kind of became Livy. I thought, and. Uh, uh, and, and I liked Margaret too. Yeah, she she was crotchety and stuff, but you know she she had a good heart and everything, and uh, uh, she had her priorities right in, in the end. And uh, it was just it was just a nice feel good book. I, I I really enjoyed it. I will say I'd be a wet blanket. I didn't like the book very much. I thought it was kind of formalistic, uh, kind of like a lifetime um, movie movie. And uh, everything was predictable, I thought, mostly. For, for one thing, when she, oh, she was first in the, uh, I forgot it, the, our main character's name. Uh, anyway, uh, when she was first met the guy <laughs> out on the porch, and he took out uh, some paper and started rolling a cigarette, I could not believe it. That she was just reaching too far. It would have been more realistic if he'd have pulled out a can of snuff out of his back pocket. That I could believe, but rolling your own cigarette, I couldn't believe. As far as Margaret, I thought uh, she was a tough. I mean, a real uh, soft character when she first introduced, and she was uh, applying for the job. Then. Uh, as the book went on, she got to be a real hard character, I thought. And then at the end, she turned back to a soft character. <laughs> really something. Well, 
you know, I, I was kind of in the mood to read a book that was um, sort of easy to read, I guess. And I, I found this book very easy to read. Um, I, you know, I, I had a feeling that some, some people in the group might find it kind of predictable because, I, you know, it was a little predictable, that, that's for sure. Um, you know, there's always that sort of theme where you take the city folk and you put them in the country and you sort of meet all the folks in the country and, you know, are they going to sort of blend into the community? So it's certainly a theme that, that you know, we're all familiar with before. Um, I think Livy was, um, what was interesting to me about her was the fact that she was on her own since she was 16 years old um, because her mother kind of, disappeared out of her life and her father died so you know she had sort of like a a little bit of a rough edge to her and the whole point of the story i thought was that she that she really needed to be surrounded by like a a new family and the mccracken family was like such an uh, you know wonderful family a welcoming family um, one of the scenes that I really liked in the book was where she went to the McCracken's Thanksgiving dinner, and you really got to meet the whole extended family, and you saw all their traditions and how they, you know, cared about each other. That those were the sort of the touches that I liked in the story. Um, when it came to her romances. I mean, you know, Martin obviously was the one that she was going to end up with. Um, Alfred definitely liked her. I wasn't exactly sure how old he was, Alfred, but I had the sense that he was probably a little older than her. Um, But he was a nice man, but, you know, it just wasn't going to go anyplace. And then Jameson, of course, was, like, horrible and much older than her, and he was drunk, and, you know, it was, you know... So that part of the story, the romance part of the story, I thought was pretty easy to, you know, kind of, you know, maybe wasn't, you know... he Martin really didn't have, like, a real rival, I thought, for her. Um, but what I really liked about it was the fact that Livy sl- slowly became enmeshed in this community, and she became enmeshed with, with the McCracken family and Margaret, and that was the part of the story, I think, that appealed to me the most. Yes, hi, this is Ginny. I just wanted to talk about Libby a little bit. Um, I also um, picked up on the theme of somebody who, you know, had kind of had some um, problems. Her mom uh, just kind of drifted away. Her her dad died. Um, and she, um, you know, she. when I first started the book, I was really turned off. She seemed to be uh, kind of a shallow character. Then as I got to um, know her a little bit better, um, you know, I realized that she had a lot of, I think, a lot of defenses um, from her upbringing, having been deserted and being on her own. And then there was a little bit of dread I had for her. Uh, She was kind of on thin ice sometimes, um, alone in the world, possibly even homeless. Um, I remember the time she was working in the uh, old pizza place. Um, So she had really... um, in order to be free, it seemed like she had really cut herself off a lot. And, you know, um, then finally, I think I got to know um, her a little bit better and warmed up to her quite a bit towards the end. Obviously, um, Margaret was kind of a surrogate mother. And since Margaret had apparently lost her child, she had a surrogate mother in Libby. Um, I agree the book was formulaic, but I still liked the writing and... um, I did uh, really uh, learn also to like Margaret quite a bit um, when I learned that, you know, she had had uh, her history with having a loss of someone she loved and then her husband. And um, I admired what she had done with a circumstance where both of these women could have become very bitter, a little bit bitter. And they um, instead, you know, at the end were really, um, you know, had had a sense of belonging and fulfillment and I, that was it's nice to read a cheery book i mean with a happy ending yeah i i think i think that that kind of describes how i felt also um I don't. I don't read a lot of romance novels. I really don't. Um, sometimes I find them. You know, they're just not to my taste. But this, even though it was obvious that that Olivia Olivia was going to end up with Martin. 
I think it was the other parts of the story that I really liked. I liked the whole family aspect to the story and the community aspect to the story. And I think that it's something that a lot of times, if you live in a city, and I do live in a city, um, but I didn't. I didn't grow up in a city. I grew up in in the suburbs. So I, I can sort of identify with both parts of the story. I can identify with being in a place where you know all your neighbors and you feel part of the community. And I also can identify with living in a city where everybody there's so many people and everybody is sort of anonymous. And your defenses do get up. I think Ginny is right. Your defenses a lot of times get up because there's really a lot to deal with. So I think I, I liked. Um, you know, it was easy for me to sort of identify with, with the settings of the book. Um, what did you guys think of the friendships in the story? There was the friendship between Livy and Hannah, who was her best friend, and then there was the friendship between Margaret and Dottie, um, which was, was a very strong friendship, too. Um, there was the, the decision that Livy had to make where she decided to go to the McCracken's Thanksgiving dinner and Hannah instead wanted her to go to Hannah's family's Thanksgiving dinner because she was going to announce a pregnancy. But Livy had already agreed to go to the McCracken's Thanksgiving dinner. And so sometimes I thought the friendship with Livy and Hannah, you know, maybe they were asking too much of each other. But then Hannah, of course, came through and went to see her in Boston. Um, and she wanted her to come to the town you know, and go to her shower and, and just be involved in the town. And then Margaret and Dottie, I thought, had a, had a particularly strong friendship, too. So what, what did you guys think about the, the idea of friendship in this story? Well, I'd like to um, begin by saying that I really liked the book. I, I was kind of uh, captured by it from the first sentence uh, when uh, it says some, uh, Livy says something about the night that she burnt down the 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 uh, the restaurant or the supper club and and it just struck me as funny the way it was worded and I really liked the book and yeah we did know that Livy and Martin were going to end up together but I think everybody would want them to as well and as for the friendships in the book um, I thought that Hannah had a very good point when she uh, she was really hurt that uh, Olivia didn't go to to her uh, family's, her husband's family's Thanksgiving. And I, I like the part where she said, you always come to me, um, you know, when you when you get into trouble or something. You always turn to me because that was obviously very true. Hannah was the only real friend that Olivia had. And I think Hannah made a, you know, very justifiable point. But I think that Olivia made the right decision because she was invited to the McCrackens. Things were moving along with her romance with Martin and she uh, she was very close to um, his father and and his mother and the only thing that she could have done really at uh, the Doyle's Thanksgiving was to be moral support for Hannah. I don't think it would have changed anything. The mother-in-law still would have uh, come once the baby was born as it said that she, she did and um, I thought that I, I really liked that part of the book where where Hannah said, "You always turn to me," and yet the, it was and it was true, and yet their friendship survived that. And while I have the key, it's not on friendship, but I hope you don't mind my interjecting now that one character who I really liked in the book, and she was a minor character, was Sophie, and. The re- I liked actually how Mer- Louise Miller portrayed her. She didn't portray Sophie as being a witch, like many authors might have done, just to simplify things. Sophie was a woman who felt ver- very out of place. She, Yeah, she knew Martin well. Maybe they were even g- engaged at one time. But she always saw him in a setting where she had him to herself. And to see him with his extended family at such a difficult time when they just lost uh, the patriarch of the family, um, she just seemed like a very sincere woman. I think she really was trying to do her best with the guest book. And I'm glad that she wasn't painted in a bad light because I think that just oversimplifies things and it would have been unrealistic. I really like the book. As a matter of fact, I'm in the middle of writing a review for uh, our Bard uh, book review list. 
Yeah, I'm glad you interjected that, Donna. Don't ever, anybody feel compelled to just stick to our questions because anybody can say anything and interject anything. I agree with you, Donna. I thought that was one place where she was not formulaic, was not making this other woman uh, a real a real witch. Um, I appreciated that too. Although I must say, I really cringe that the every romance I've ever read, there's always the couple miscommunicates and has a misunderstanding and breaks up, and then they get back together. It just drives me nuts. I wish there'd be books where people just communicated, but I guess then there wouldn't be a story. Um, I liked all the side characters. I thought she did a really good job with people like Tom, especially, and Sarah and Al. Um, they were side characters, but they were well enough developed that you felt like you knew them. Interestingly enough, usually I love the animals in the book, but I didn't think she developed Salty that much. I mean, he was kind of thrown in there. Maybe it was even a she. I don't remember. Like the author would mention that she was walking the dog or the dog was there and put his head in somebody's lap and got petted. But I didn't feel the dog had the personality that you see with some other authors. Yeah, I, I was going to say that as well. I thought even the minor characters like Sarah um, and Tom came to life, you know, definitely on the page. Because I could picture these people and they seem like um, they belonged in this town. They, they really did. Um, and I, I think even, you know... I, I really I like the friendship between Margaret and Dottie a lot. I thought, you know, even though they were different personalities, they seemed like they were real friends to me and they had a long history and they really were there for each other and I know that Margaret was talking about at one point that she wanted to be there for Dottie when Dottie lost her husband, Henry, um, because she understood what was, that was like to, to lose her husband. Um, and I thought I thought that it was very well done the way that Livy kind of relived the death of her own father when she was watching the death of Henry. Um, and Margaret even, you know, realized how much Henry's death affected Livy. And I think it was that those were the parts of the story that I really liked. I think Livy had had a real strong longing to be part of a family, to be part of, you know, to, to feel like she belonged. And... Um, and she got very attached very quickly to Martin's parents. And I think when Henry died, she was really affected. And I think maybe she was kind of reliving her own her own father's death. So, you know, I, I, I agree that there was formulary parts to the story. But I think overall, I just like the whole feeling of the book. I like the characters and I like the way they, they kind of all sort of were there for each other. And... Um, I, I just like the whole family feeling, the whole community feeling of the story. Yeah, uh, and, and that's what I liked about it. She really did a good job of, of portraying uh, small-town Vermont, I thought. And uh, you, you really did get a good sense of, of, of how the characters interacted with one another and and, the, uh, and how the, you know, the community, you know, she just did a really good job of, of portraying it, I thought. Uh, and... You know, Livy obviously wanted to, you know, she'd been living in Boston and, uh, you know, city girl comes to town. But she, she obviously wanted what the, what the small town brought to her. And, and you know, and, you know, and let's just face it, fa- family's usually more important in small towns, I think. Uh, you know, that's a generality, I know. But uh, uh, historically, I think that's been the case. And uh she just really did a good job of portraying that, I thought, and uh, uh, it it really ca- it really came through the writing and uh, and kind of permeated the book and uh, you know made it all feel good, I thought, and that's uh, that's one thing I liked about it. Of course, I liked uh, I-, I liked Livy too because she was she was I mean she they made her a little bit different. I mean she was changing her hair color all the time. I I think I would have liked sitting down and talking to her because she seemed real relaxed and pretty accepting of people, and uh, uh, and I liked that about her character. And, uh, yeah, thanks. One thing I thought that was interesting was you saw a real contrast in how the different generations behaved in terms of morality. I mean, when poor Margaret got jilted by John White for Jane White because Jane claimed she was pregnant, and then you have the present day where, you know, Livy is pregnant and just leaves him a voicemail telling him she's pregnant, and nobody, I mean, people sort of judge her because of her affair with Jameson when he got drunk at that one dinner and made a fool of himself. 
but not in the same way that in Margaret's generation, women were judged for such things. And it was nice to see that change, too. Yeah, I mean, it was sort of alluded to that Livy had had a number of, I don't know, relationships, encounters, whatever you want to call them, um, and and that was in her in her you know in her history. Um, I, I think the thing that that was the thing that I, I had the most difficulty with was Livy's decision not to tell Martin that she was pregnant um, because when she went back to Guthrie, Vermont um, to attend Hannah's baby shower, she decided that she wasn't going to tell Martin that she was pregnant. And instead, she wanted him to think about, you know, what he wanted for his life when he went on this music tour. And she said to him, well, you've already had so many big changes recently. Your father died. You ended your relationship with Sophie. You left your teaching job. And now you're, you know, you know you're going on this world tour. And I thought, okay, that was kind of reasonable, you know, saying, I mean, I think she should have told him that she was pregnant, but all right, maybe she wanted him to be with her because he loved her as opposed to the fact that she was pregnant. But the thing that that I didn't agree with was when she finally decided to leave him a telephone message saying on his answering machine that she was pregnant. And I just thought, you know, talk to this man on the phone don't just leave him a, a telephone message so that was like the one part I, I didn't I didn't agree with her thinking at all I was listening to the book of course and uh, I was thinking boy this is really going on good with Livy she's so uh, happy here baking and everything and uh, I uh, turned uh, off the player and I was thinking boy that that is so good but something's got to go wrong what what is it what's what's going to have to go wrong and as soon as I turned the recorder back Livy's pregnant and Martin's gone <laughs> so I uh so there it there it is I'll tell you one thing that I was surprised uh a little nugget of of information they threw in there but then we said she's going to have to go back and uh, bake the wedding cake. She said, oh, my goodness, that'll take me a, a week's worth. I thought, oh, my gosh, how stale could that wedding cake be when they get to it? That's really funny, LaDonna. I thought the same thing. I thought, how could it take two weeks to make a cake and you'd still be able to keep it fresh? I was thinking the decorating of it, maybe. or I, I don't know. I couldn't figure that out either, but I'm sure that's probably accurate. Well, I think this is where her own experience as a pastry chef probably comes in because I'm sure that she actually knows how long it takes to make. This was like a three-tier wedding cake, and each part of the wedding cake had different filling or or whatever it was. So I'm sure they have some kind of special sub-zero freezer or refrigerator or some, some way that they keep it fresh because there are some really, really complicated wedding cakes. I mean, some wedding cakes are, are very elaborate, and I can't imagine that people could actually make them in one day. So I think if we're thinking about like a traditional seven-layer cake or some kind of cake like that, then I would say, yes, you can make the cake in one day. But some of these cakes are really, really involved, and I don't know how they keep it fresh, but I'm sure that they must have have some way to do it. But, yeah, I mean, I can understand. I, I thought that initially also. I said to myself, how, why does it take a week to make a cake? But I know sometimes they're, they're very elaborate. Um, one thing that I was thinking about when I read this book, and I would be interested to hear what people have to say about this, is... Um, I mean, I think sometimes when I read books about small-town life, it comes across as a little bit idealized. Um, If you remember, there was that little scene where um, Martin's, I want to say Martin's nephew, when they were at the Thanksgiving dinner, and he was gay, and he was talking about how Martin had invited him to Seattle and took him to a gay club and, you know, allowed him to be himself, and that was something that he could do in the city but that he didn't feel comfortable doing in his small town. So I think sometimes when I read these books, you know, I, I like I, having grown up in the suburbs and known all my neighbors, I, I like that part of it. I think it's very comforting to live in a place where you know all your neighbors, but then there's that sense of conformity that you have to really fit in with how everybody is. And if you don't fit in, then your life can be very difficult in a small town. And I thought that, you know, here and there, she sort of put those little touches in, and I, and I thought that was very good, actually. 
Yeah, this is Jenny Young, Michelle. I also felt that while I really enjoyed this book for a number of reasons, um, it was kind of an idealized um, picture of small-town life. Um, you know, uh, I'm sure, but then I started to think about um, something that Hannah said to Libby, which was, you know, uh, Libby was saying, well, Boston's such a sophisticated, great town with all the things to do. She said, but what did you actually do? And I began to see um, it wasn't so much the town. It was the relationships that were formed. I mean, were, there, were they supportive? Were they nurturing? Or were they, I mean, maybe this is just, it, the locale was very beautiful the way she described it. But I, I think it was more about, you know, we see so many depictions in books of what happens when relationships go sour. This was more a picture of how supportive relationships can be. Well, one thing uh, the author did bring up is how in um, small towns everyone knows everyone else's business and there's a lot of gossip. And um, I I believe that's probably true. And that's one thing that I wouldn't like about being in a small town. It's one of the things I like about living in New York City is that um, everything is, is accepted. I mean, you could probably walk down the street uh, I, I use the expression that you could walk down the street naked and no one would be surprised they might look twice but go on their way and um, so that's one thing I personally would not like about about small town living but I have two questions about the book and I mean I I heard the whole thing I, I wasn't dozing or anything but I I missed something, and that is with the pie that Margaret um, won the contest uh, with. Did she secretly bake a pie on her own, or did she use the extra pie that that Olivia made um, as as her pie? Because remember, Olivia made three pies. There was one for them to eat, and then there was one for the show entry, and one for, um, it was... A, a backup pie or something, and they brought both pies to the uh, fair, and they submitted them to the to the judges. I, I mean, I don't think Olivia knew that they did. She thought just one was submitted, but they were carrying two pies. So, I I have a question about that, and also at um at um what's her name um Jane at Jane's granddaughter's wedding when. Jane started making some nasty remarks about when she saw that Olivia was pregnant and she was reminding Margaret of her past and everything. Was she saying those things aloud that other people on the dance floor at at the wedding could hear? Or was that something that just Margaret and Olivia and maybe Dottie and the people around them could hear? Yeah, that's what I was going to talk talk about was what did you think about the pie contest it seemed like a big sporting event um, like a bunch of uh, wrestlers getting in a match or something all the tension and and everything and uh, Margaret did bring a pie that she baked because uh, Livy asked her when did you do it and she did it the night the night before but I thought that the pie, uh, what, what, the ending, well, who won the prizes was really contrived, I thought. One will win second and one would win first. But I didn't think of it before. Uh, so it was a bit of a surprise. But after uh, I found out that uh, Livy won second and Margaret won first, I thought, oh, well, of course, that's the way it was going to end. Uh- I believe uh, Margaret made her own pie, Donna. I, I don't know how she slipped it in, but my understanding was that was her her own pie. And, and my impression was that that Jane was kind of talking to them, uh, to maybe Livy and Margaret, and, and maybe anybody else that was close at hand, but may, maybe not for the whole room to hear. So I don't know what others think. Yeah, I, I I think the fact that Margaret won the contest was a little far-fetched because um, supposedly first her mother did the baking and then her husband did the baking, and, but the, it was submitted under Margaret's name. So she was winning all the ribbons, but she never actually did the baking. So I, I did find it kind of difficult to believe that um, she would suddenly become this master pie maker because if you kind of listen to the way they were describing 
how difficult it was to make pies and how many times they, they, they were teaching Sarah how to bake a pie and all the d- little details that you had to do, it was hard for me to believe that she can make a better pie than Livy could because this is what Livy did all the time. So um, I hadn't really thought that she... I, it didn't occur to me that she might have submitted Livy's backup pie. I guess it's possible, and I, and I honestly don't know. I, my impression was she did her own baking, but I think it was implausible that she would that she would have won. I mean, it was a nice way to end the book, and I agree with Ladon. I thought there was real tension. <laughs> I mean, I've never been to a pie-eating contest, but, you know, they're all sitting there, and then they're watching how the judges are testing all the pies, and I, and I said to myself, it's really very, it's like a sporting event. You know, it was really kind of interesting that everybody um, wasn't was involved with this. Um, and I thought what, you know, Jane was Jane was really the most unpleasant person in the book, um, and she clearly did not like um, Margaret at all, and had had really really bad feelings towards her. And she was very snobby. If you remember when she brought her granddaughter in, and Margaret was like really standoffish, and she didn't want her to have the wedding at the uh, Sugar Maple Inn. And then that was one of the times I thought that Livy was very. Um, you know, she was making things better. She was, you know, acting very businesslike and very professional. And she was talking to the granddaughter and she was making, you know, every, you know, saying, oh, you want to come here and we'll make you all kinds of sample menus and you can have this and you can have that and whatever. But you could see the real tension between Margaret and Jane. So Jane was just really, really unpleasant. Like every time she made an appearance in the story, I couldn't wait for it to be over. Um, but I don't, I think when she was talking, she probably was just talking. She was trying to, she was trying to hurt Margaret's feelings. I don't think she was trying to, like, shame her in front of the whole town. Although, who knows, maybe other people were listening. It's, it's hard to know, I think. Well, I, I've never been involved in a, in a pie contest and stuff, but I, I am from Mississippi where, where food is, is really important. And I can imagine, uh, I'm sure some of these small towns in Mississippi have these contests. I, I know the state fair is always real big down here, and uh, there's all kind of things that, are, that get entered, at the, whether it's flowers or food or what have you, and, and people take that stuff seriously. And uh, uh, and, that, and I thought that you know that, that 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 made a good portrayal, I think, of what small town life is, is probably like. So uh, I, 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 I thought it was interesting. <laughs> the uh, you're right, Ladon. It, it is like a, a major sporting event. Maybe not quite to the Super Bowl that we're having this weekend, but. Uh, uh, one of the major events of the whole of the small town, though. Yeah, having grown up in a really small town, probably about the size of Guthrie, even our county fair, uh, the cooking contests were big events, as well as like tractor pulls and all kinds of you know rural things. That reminds me of what Ladon said earlier about rolling cigarettes. I didn't. I found that really interesting, Ladon, that you would. Did you find that just the rolling the cigarette was odd because it was smoking or because it was rolling a cigarette rather than snuff? Because, I mean, I worked in Seattle a couple of years. And no one would ever do snuff, but you did see people rolling their own cigarettes. And I would guess they would probably do that in Vermont, too. Um, as far as the pies go, um, I was puzzled as to why there was this family recipe that Margaret's family had used for years to win this contest. And I was surprised that she didn't have Libby use that recipe instead of her own recipe. But then as it turns out, I, I took it that that's the recipe Margaret used and that she had improved because she had learned from watching Libby. But I don't know. But in any case, even though it might have been a little far-fetched, that was a really nice way to end it. I uh, thought that when Libby was, she's thinking, let's get back at that Jane White. Let's get back at that Jane White wolf show her. I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, way. And another little item that uh, I thought was kind of interesting, when they were carrying the cake in, didn't they say the cake weighed about 60 pounds? Really? Yeah, that's like what Michelle said earlier. When you've got all those layers and they're all filled with something, it probably and they're all like connected with stuff holding the layers apart, it probably gets pretty heavy. and. Given that the author used to bake, that's probably totally accurate. It's pretty amazing that a cake would weigh that much, though. Yeah, that it was interesting to read the book because um, I kind of follow, um, you know, the culinary scene a little bit and read up. And it was pretty sophisticated, some of her cooking and up to date. Um, I 
I thought I really like books where women are in the workplace or men are in the workplace. And um, it was interesting to see her making her way with her passion for cooking, which I guess I remember from the book uh, a babysitter or a caretaker had taught her how to bake. But it seemed to me that food was pretty central to the book. I don't know whether it was kind of like symbolic of caretaking. And this was one way that Libby kind of connected with people um, you know, rather than, you know, becoming closer to them since she had kind of uh, some defenses there. But toward the end of the book, I thought it was great that she had let down her card. But um, it was interesting. It made me think about food and how it connects us. Yeah, I, I guess I, I think of food as, as a way that people comfort themselves. So sometimes, you know, they have comfort food and whatever type of food that you particularly like or find comforting Sometimes people treat themselves when they're feeling sad or blue or, or whatever. And it's kind of a way that people connect with other people because it's a, it's a way that families get together and friends get together um, over over meals. And, and, and so I, I sort of thought of, of that way. And you're right, there was a neighbor who taught her how, how to bake or cook and that's how she sort of got started. Um, and, I, and I liked all the, you know, all the different touches about... Um, baking in, in the book. I thought it was really interesting. Um, I, I guess I, I like Chef Alfred also, actually. I mean, part of me kind of wanted her to end up with him. He wasn't really a real rival, but he seemed like such a nice man, and I kind of thought it'd be interesting. He's a chef, and she's a baker, and I don't know. I sort of thought maybe they could be cooking together in the kitchen, but they never really built up that part of the story. He just really was her friend and she didn't really see him in a romantic way and it was just obvious that she was going to end up with with martin um you know from i guess the beginning of the story did anyone worry uh as the wedding cake was being carried in if i remember correctly there was a part where the wedding cake started to slip and i thought oh my gosh i hope it's not going to fall just like the baked Alaska fell at the beginning of the story, but there was a moment there where I was concerned because I thought it started to shift or something, and then and that's right around the time that, uh, or maybe it was because of Jane White's insults that that happened. But I, I was worried there for a minute that uh, the the granddaughter's wedding was going to be ruined, and she seemed like such a nice young girl. I certainly didn't want that to happen. Did, did anyone pick up on that, notice that the, the cake was moving or, or shifting? Yeah, that did happen after Jane started insulting Margaret and brought up all kinds of old painful memories, and Margaret started to let go of the thing. I forget who came in and rescued it. Some man came over and grabbed the other side, and they were able to carry it. I was thinking, too, if it's 60 pounds, and Libby's pregnant. I'm not sure if there's any limitations on how much you're supposed to lift, but that crossed my mind too. And I would have liked one more thing I would have liked to have seen just to go ahead and make this romance all out formulaic is Al and Sarah to announce their engagement at the end of the book or something. I found uh Anne uh, really upscale with a with a cook and a and a baker and all the servers. I thought it was more to me like an upscale restaurant you would find in a big city, not the kind of restaurants or inns I've ever seen in small towns where I've passed through and stopped. Of course, maybe it was, but it seemed like pretty much an upscale restaurant to me. And Alfred. He kind of got left old in the bag, didn't he? I thought, I thought, poor old guy. Here he's willing to do all of this, and okay, so they don't mention much more about him. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. It was, it sounded like it was a a small to medium size inn. I remember that they mentioned that they could only seat forty people in the restaurant, so it wasn't like it was set up to be a venue for large weddings or. I don't know, corporate events or whatever. So, yeah, I, I agree that it would be unusual that you'd have a chef and a pastry chef. Um, I would imagine, you know, I, I, I don't know much about inns, but I know sometimes what they do is, like the big attraction with inns a lot of times is breakfast, you know, bed and breakfast. Um, and they, they, 
they either the person who owns the inn makes the breakfast or sometimes they hire a local person to come in for a couple of hours and make the breakfast and sometimes they have dinners um i have been to some upscale um bed and breakfast in places um but i don't know for sure if they would have a chef and a pastry chef but you know i mean when you read books and and they're romance novels you know sometimes it's you have to sort of suspend disbelief a little bit so i i agree with you if you really examine it i i think that it's it's unlikely that they would have had both of them but um but he, he was a nice character chef alfred i actually liked him very much and i liked sarah very much i liked that she was learning how to bake at the end of the story and i liked that it, you know that they were all going to be working together so i i don't know it was it was this book just appealed to me very much i think i'm thinking that perhaps they didn't always have a pastry chef i mean i i believe Margaret's reason for hiring these pastry chefs is that she wanted to learn how to bake the perfect apple pie or she wanted to be able to submit one of their one of her uh, pastry chef's pies on behalf of the inn and that's why she they she fired the previous pastry chef Bonnie because she probably tasted her pie and it wasn't any good so she let her go and then on Olivia's first afternoon there they, uh, she and Dottie sat in their chairs, um, Margaret that is, and Dottie sat in their chairs, and they watched her baking the pie. And that's when, when she, Olivia sautéed the apples, and Margaret said, what are you doing? But at the end of the book, and I'll bet Margaret sautéed the apples. Obviously, that, had, that was not part of her recipe, but I'll bet that's what she did when she made her winning pie. Because at the end of the book, they show Sarah sautéing the apples as well. So I'm thinking that maybe she was hiring these people to make desserts so that she could learn from them. Maybe they didn't have a pastry chef say, when her husband was alive, because apparently he was a good baker, as was her mother. Hi, this is Jenny. I, I just want to bring up one point before we close. Um, in a romantic book like this, you kind of um, suspend disbelief a little bit. In I took it on faith that Will and Libby had this um, tempestuous attraction, but I didn't, I don't know if I was the only one, but I didn't really feel that much chemistry between them. And this was really a woman's character book. I think, with the exception of Henry, I think um, the women characters were more understandable. And you could connect with them or identify with them. Maybe it's just me. Well, actually, I thought some of the men were well-developed, like Tom. I thought, even though he was a minor character, and like you said, Henry, too. But maybe Martin, not quite as much. I didn't have any problems with the inn having that. I would guess on the East Coast with the... Um, You've got a lot of wealthy people that live in New York and Connecticut and a couple of counties in New Jersey. I would guess there's a lot of upscale bed and breakfast scattered throughout rural parts of the Northeast, but I don't know from experience. Yeah, you know, I think that you're right, Donna, actually. I think that probably in the past she did the baking, well, not her, but her husband or her mother or somebody did the baking, and I think it's very possible. I hadn't really thought about that, but it's possible that was the reason why she was hiring a pastry chef. Um, I mean, you know, I think there's a limit to how much they can charge for the rooms, (laughs) so I don't know if they want to take on, typically take on the salary of a chef and a pastry chef because... You know, it's a lot of expenses and whatever, and and unless they're unless they're getting a very steady dinner business in these places, um, which it's possible, um, but I think that there's a limit to you know the number of people that want to spend whatever the amount of money is to go out to dinner on a regular basis as opposed to a special occasion. Um, There certainly are in, like, resort areas, very fancy kind of in places, but this I didn't think was a resort area. This sounded like a small town. Um, And I think what what Ginny was saying, um, the relationship between Jameson and Livy at the beginning of the book and, like, towards the middle of the book, I I thought was a little forced, Um, And I think that she just, you know, I I think she just had a lot of things that she had to work through, Livy. 
and you know she just found herself in a situation with somebody who clearly was not the right person for her her to be with and so it was certainly good that she was able to open herself up and allow herself to be with somebody who was much much more suitable and also came from a very loving extended family and and that was very good but yeah i mean he their relationship was um I don't know. It, w- it wasn't a great relationship, and it didn't feel that wonderful, you know, to read about it. So I was kind of glad that those parts of the story weren't did, weren't drawn out too much. I also like the way that uh, uh, she uh, wove the music into the thing and and established a lot of the connections with the uh, with music with the with Libby, you know, playing the banjo, and then Martin with the uh, Martin and. Uh, uh, Henry with the with the fiddles and stuff, and uh, I thought that was I thought that was a nice touch, and uh, uh, you know uh, uh, maybe small town America, if, if it, it's food and music. I mean, and and, and family. So uh, I thought that was a nice touch too. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, Alan. I really like the music stuff too. I, I like bluegrass a lot, so I recognized a lot of the songs too, which was kind of nice. I really liked that too, and it was the music that opened a lot of doors for. Olivia, because um, uh, she heard, well, we thought it was, I thought throughout the book it was Martin, but then he said it wasn't him, that it, it must have been his father playing in the woods, and she was walking salty in the woods, and she heard that music that was hauntingly beautiful, and that prompted her to take out her banjo, and then I forget how Tom learned that she played the banjo, and he invited her into you know, into his band, and then she had that connection with Henry because she played an instrument. So I loved that part of the book also. I kind of liked the dulcimer, where she got got the dulcimer and she was learning to play that. And that's a very uh, unusual instrument or kind of a country instrument that used to be played a lot. I really like a little dulcimer, and she was playing that strumming dulcimer, and I kind of like the hammer dulcimer, and I was wanting it to be that kind, but it wasn't. But anyway, I like the idea of that, that little dulcimer. It was a nice little color to put in the book. I'm not remembering exactly who it was, but I remember one character. I want to say it was Henry who made an instrument for Dottie at the beginning of the romance. I hope that I'm, I'm right about that. And I remember that was really, really very nice, too. And I think he lent the instrument to Livy um, to, to play also. So that was, that was really nice as well. Um, I know we're getting close to the end of the hour, so um, I guess I'll just ask if anybody has any final comments, and then um, we can have uh, Sherry tell us about our, our next book. Yeah, Michelle, the instrument that you were talking about was the dulcimer that LaDonna had mentioned that uh, Henry made for Dottie. That was a really nice touch. Um, Our next book is called You Will Know Me, and it's by Megan Abbott, M-E-G-A-N-A-B-B-O-T-T, so two B's and two T's. And it is DB84687. Eight, seven. I did put it up in the chat window. If anyone wants to just paste, they can hit F8 and get that out of the chat window and cut and paste it. This is a book about a family who has a daughter who's a gymnastics prodigy. And um, something happens in the town, and the family has to deal with that. And it has to do with how much, how far a family will go to ensure their daughter's success and what that can possibly do to the family and the rest of the town. Um, so hopefully you'll join us. Oh, and the book's fairly short, like seven or eight hours. I don't remember the exact length. Um, first, I, I just it's, I, it's confusing because we have a lot of similar names today. So we have Don, Ladon, and Donna. But I noticed that Don actually hasn't had a chance to to talk. So um, I just wanted to ask him if he if he read tonight's book and what he thought of it. Um, and the book for next month is by um, Megan Abbott, who's actually I've never read anything by her before. So I'm looking forward to this one. And she's really a very well known um, writer. Um, and she's won like a whole bunch of awards and she's supposed to be really very good so I'm, I'm actually looking forward to, to reading this one but um, Dawn, if, have you, did you read tonight's book and if so um, did, what did you think of it? No, I thought I, <clears throat> unfortunately I didn't get 
to the book, and uh, it was very interesting, lots of discussion on it. Uh, did anybody hear me? I. Yeah, no, that's fine. I just wanted to make sure that if you if you wanted to say anything, that you, that you had a chance to to say that. And um, I, I was also going to ask um, Alan and Don if you wanted to mention the books for for your groups and and when your next meeting is as well. Well, I'll uh, maybe I better re- well yeah okay uh, the uh, next meeting which is uh, next week I guess uh, so the it's the uh, General versus the President, MacArthur and Truman at the Brink of Nuclear War by Brands, B-R-A-N-D-S. And it's uh, the, or Truman, and he came at the, during the Korean War. I don't know if well, many of us remember it. I do. And uh, it, it, uh, he, Truman, stu- stood up for his rights against, he was very prominent, he and, and uh, MacArthur never made it to be president, and Truman lost his chance to run uh, and be president for another term. So it, they both, uh, but they, uh, he saved the presidency. I think it's a very good, well-done book. Yeah, Worlds of Books, which meets the third Sunday at uh, 5 p.m. Eastern, will be discussing Murder in the Marais, M-A-R-A-I-S, uh, it's that's a that's a section of Paris, and uh, it's a mystery book. But uh, 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 somebody had recommended it to me, so I thought, oh well, if I, if I have to read it, I'll just uh, assign it for for my book group. So uh, uh, it's pretty good. I finished it today, and uh, uh, you know, it's got a tie into World War Two and stuff, which I know we get a little tired of that. But uh, it's a pretty good mystery. I kind of like the main character. She was she was good, a private eye. Uh, but anyway, that's what we're going to be talking about. Don, isn't your February book like the one that's next week called like Slaves in the Family or something in MacArthur's for March? Got me again. I did that before. Yeah, next. I'm, that's where I get for doing these ahead of time. But no, the Slaves in the Family is next week's book. And then I've been working on. I was working, been working on the other book, so that's why I did that. I'm sorry. Um, we talked about it earlier, but no, it's Slaves in the Family, and it's. Uh, it's it's a really a kind of a very interesting. This, he, he's a descendant of a one of the larger plantations in uh, the South. It was rice. They raised rice mostly in cotton, and, then, and I think they had as many as twenty six different plantations at one time. But they this guy came from England. He was the fourth son of a family. They only had about ten acres there, and they were in England. But they they. With slavery, they had all these slaves. They had an enormous number of slaves uh, working for them. And so he went and interviewed the descendants of the slaves who had been there and their their lives and what slavery was really like and not the kind of romanticized thing that his family liked to believe. And uh, I think it's a very interesting story. The various reactions of both his family and of the... uh, the Descendants of the slaves is very interesting. Not always friendly. Well, I enjoyed the discussion tonight. Thanks for everybody's uh, comments, and uh, thanks for picking the book. I, I very much enjoyed it. Well, I, I'm glad you liked the book, and thank you, everybody, for coming. I thought it was a really good discussion, and, um, you know, thank thank you all for coming, and um, I'm sure we'll see each other in, in all the various book groups. So thank, thanks again. Yeah, thanks, everybody, for a good discussion. Good night, everyone. Thank you.